0: At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible with a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast. Thank you for tuning in to episode 23 of Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. This one's going to be a little bit different because it's actually a carryover from the Mind Key Show podcast, my other show. So this one is going to be an unbelievable interview that I had with Theo Fleury, the NHL superstar and mental health advocate. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, I have listened to this episode probably... 10 times, and I'll listen to it 10 times more. There is so much great information that Theo shares. His honesty and straightforward manner is just unbelievable. So I do hope you enjoy it. It's um, a powerful, powerful conversation. It's a longer one, so you might have to do this one in bite-sized chunks. But uh, anyway, I hope you enjoy it. And thank you for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast.
1: Step in the process. The last step is forgiveness. Yeah. Because then that's freedom, right? The gift that you give yourself,
0: they say. Mm -hmm. All right, Theo. I'm ready if you're ready. Yep. All right, let's do this. I am your host, Mark Meinke, and this is the Meinke Show podcast. Today we have in studio Theo Flurry. It's on the fly production. Theo, thanks for being here, brother. My pleasure. It's uh, you are one generous dude. You know. Um, uh, you, you did my show earlier, uh, a few months back, and working with SNAPS. Uh, it seems like you've really dedicated all of your time and effort into giving back to the community. For sure. Um, well. Just bring the the mic a little bit more. When uh, There you go.
1: You know, when I started on this journey, you know, 10 years ago, I was, the the only intent was, you know, sort of a selfish thing. <laughs> How so? Was I just wanted to tell my story and, you know, and then move on to something else. And what happened was, uh, you know, I started to run into a whole bunch of other people who had had similar experiences, you know, such as myself on the sexual abuse spectrum. But then I started running into guys like you, you know, military guys who suffer post-traumatic stress disorder and, you know, people have been bullied and, you know, all this stuff. And I was like, geez, you know, this is bigger than um, just sexual abuse. You know, this is all about trauma in general. And, you know, all these people looking to heal from, you know, these trauma experiences that they've had. And so, you know, it's sort of just expanded. You know to the full spectrum of uh you know trauma in general do you find that there's
0: um any use to putting a dividing line to say this type of trauma or that type of trauma trauma is trauma
1: yeah because uh you know the one thing we discovered is that you know my emotional pain which is a um a symptom of or a remnant left behind from trauma is emotional pain And so my emotional pain and your emotional pain are no different. You know, there's no scale. We feel our pain exactly the same way, but because we love to compare, you know, ourselves to other people so that it lessens, you know, our emotional pain or our emotional burden. But what we've discovered is that the brain doesn't decipher between physical and emotional pain. It just knows that we're in pain. And so, you know, um, and when when we start to unpack our trauma history, you know, that emotional pain becomes more of a centerpiece and a center point. And, and so, um, you know, the goal is always to alleviate pain and suffering in the world because that's all we see on a daily basis is people that are in pain and are suffering. And so, um, and I think that's unnecessary because there's a stigma attached to emotional pain, especially for men is that we're not allowed to talk about, um, you know, our deepest, darkest. And I would say, especially
0: on top of that for the alpha males, I mean, you were a pro athlete and, um, that's, you know, the the icon, the idol, the, the, the one that people look up to as the hero and the same with soldiers, you know, um, especially frontline infantry, Mm -hmm. combat armed soldiers. Uh, we were at the top of the food chain and uh, the ultimate alpha male kind of deal, um, running into gunfire, crazy shit. Um, and I think it's tougher for people that have been uh, on, on that level with whether that's the social strata or right. whatever it is. But once you've been that, um, hyper alpha male, then it's just all the tougher to admit. I, w- I don't like, I don't want to say weakness. Mm-hmm. Um, but to admit that you've been hurt.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah. That, that you're vulnerable. For sure. And you know, that's the key word to all of this, you know, is when I came out, you know, I told my story in a very vulnerable way. And uh, you know, the feedback that I got was exactly, you know, what it was supposed to be. Man, you got courage. Man, you have strength, right? And so the alpha male, that's the way we're portrayed as courageous people of strength and all of that, right? And so somehow why has that gotten flipped around as a weakness? You know, and in the Aboriginal culture, uh, a warrior is vulnerable, <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, you know, last 10 years is all about, about uh, decreasing the stigma around, you know, uh, um, that I'm weak. No, no, I'm not I am a person of. You know, tremendous courage and tremendous strength because I'm dealing with something that the majority of the population deals with and that's emotional pain and suffering. Right. So I, I was like, wow, you know, I'm not alone in this journey. I'm, But you felt alone at the time. Yeah. Because of the stigma. Mm -hmm. Couldn't talk about it. Attached to, you know, what we do. And, and, and so, um you know, we are now looked at as people of inspiration and, uh, you know, we're carrying this, um, flag for other people, um, until they, you know, find their voice.
0: Who is the very first person that you opened up to and told?
1: Oh boy. Uh, it was a long time ago. It was still as when I was playing hockey, uh, my, uh, fiance at the time. Um, we were in the middle of a breakup and, and I went over to her house, uh, one night and, and, uh, basically told her what happened. And that was the first person, you know, that I'd ever told.
0: Was it a soft place to land?
1: Yeah, I felt, I felt safe telling, uh, this person and, uh, you know, but obviously. How was it received? Uh, I think because she knew my, my abuser. And I think she was a bit shocked and, uh, but you know, uh, she just listened and, uh, you know, really didn't say a whole lot and, and, uh, yeah. And then I left.
0: For about four years ago, you did a corporate event that I was at. And, uh, I think that's, well, the first time I officially met you, I shook your hand and, and quietly said, me too. Mm-hmm. And, um, Which I was only able to say the first time about two years ago to my wife. And uh, not easy. No. Not easy. Jesus Christ. Yep. Um, And my parents don't know, so I don't know if they'll listen to the show or not. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, of course. Of course. But um, uh, you're a very different speaker now than about four years ago. Mm. Like, it's a big evolution. And um, uh, some of the things you talk about are different. Um, uh, but and of course your skill as a public speaker is like you were good then, like you were Theo, <clears throat> you know, uh, that was good, but now you're great, truly great. And, um, how, how has it changed say over the last four or five years uh you telling your story? Is it getting easier? Is there still some no go zones for you?
1: No. <clears throat> uh, I think the biggest thing has been education, you know, is that. You know, I read, you know, studies, brain studies. I uh, always run into experts in the field of trauma, mental health, and addiction. And, you know, they educate me even more. And so, um, and obviously getting the, op- <clears throat> getting the opportunity to hang out with Kim Barthel, you know, um, who is probably i would say uh, if not number 1 close to number 1 people in the field and you know i have her on speed dial and she you know whenever i call she picks up the phone and so um you know that's been a great relationship for me and uh, a great mentor and uh, you know somebody i can bounce things off of because she has many degrees, you know, she's a occupational therapist with a degree degree in neuroscience with a degree in, you know, so many things. And, and, uh, you know, she's even busier than I am, you know, and she teaches the teachers, you know, who, you know, are on the front lines and working with uh, traumatized people, you know, on a daily basis. And so, um, you know, that's where uh, sort of that evolution comes from is, is, you know, I'm always willing to learn and I'm always working on my stuff. I'm always, always, always working on my own stuff and, and.
0: It's never ending.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, I I always say, you know, I'm in therapy for the rest of my life and, you know, I'm okay with that, you know, because, uh, you know, when I unpack, you know, another layer, you know, I just get better and, and, and through that process, uh, you know, I can now talk about these experiences that I have in therapy while I'm on stage because, you know, people need to know that therapy is not, you know, scary. It's not a bad thing. It's just, you know, it's part of the process of healing.
0: Yeah. You see some people have a pushback. It's like, oh, I don't do therapy. I don't need that. As if it's for... <laughs> crazy people or, or
1: weak people. Yeah. Well, it's not the case at all. They are crazy and I'm crazy (laughs) and I will have forever be crazy. You know, I always say I'm, I'm still crazy, but it's just more manageable. Yeah. And my craziness is what makes me unique and makes me an individual is, you know, my life experience. And, and, uh, you know, there's no, uh, you know, there's no, it's just who we are it's what makes us our experiences are the things that make us um you know unique and an individual tom uh is on my right
0: here he's in the next guest i thought he was bringing cameras today oh, the to it's all right it's all right brother it's okay we're we're uh, making do with our uh, webcam as the camera thing awesome yeah we're good but uh, you can uh, – actually, it's probably best um, uh, either at the kitchen table or one of the tall chairs, Tom, and then, yeah, you betcha. <laughs> oh, shit. Anyway, um, just before we flipped on the mics, uh, we were talking about forgiveness because at the Snaps um, – Kind of deal uh, fundraiser. And thanks again for doing that. Yeah. Theo. That was a great night. It was good, yeah. I really, really enjoyed that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> actually to tell you a story, they were in, when they were doing the auction, I kept trying to push the numbers up so that to to get them a bigger number. I right. never thought I was actually going to get any of that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh so the um uh, auction for the hot air balloon ride is like oh I've always wanted one of those and then it went past about 500 bucks like ah I don't know about that that's a bit pricey and uh but the bidding went higher cuz I was pushing I was like yep and then the guy the auctioneer's making fun of me cuz I'm going yep it's yeah. like way I'm having fun man <laughs> and then uh, the big one came on for that trip too anywhere WestJet flies and i went, yep and then I got it it was like oh shit <laughs> Well, that's good. You get to travel. Yeah, we're going to Ireland in July. Awesome. It's going to be awesome awesome. because I just had to go, yep.
1: Ireland's a great place. That's my lack of
0: impulse control right there, but uh, it's all going to work out. (laughs) It's all going to work out. But on that, um, the one that hit me between the eyes uh, was you're talking about speaking at prisons in prisons and you're uh, grand cash if i recall mm-hmm. and you're chatting with one fella and he says Theo you're my hero and because you're my hero um uh i went to beat the shit right out of uh your abuser mm-hmm. and uh uh anyway I would be- you will tell it better than I will. Mm-hmm. But um, you, t- you told him, well, now you're my hero. Cause you didn't do it. Yeah. Cause when he walked in, he was curled up in a ball under his bed, you know, uh are was like, Oh, it looks like you're getting punished
1: enough <laughs>
0: kind it, of thing. Exactly. Now at what point in the process or are you, is it still a process? Like, would you say you fully forgiven
1: you're fully forgiven your abuser? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Mm-hmm. But it, it, it took that, scene in the prison to make me realize that, you know, that I was, that I was there, you know, and, uh, you know, it was, you know, it was a life changing moment and, you know, what, what was kind of ironic was, you know, five years ago, Kim and I set an intention that we wanted to start working in the prison system just out of curiosity and, you know, in those, you know, whatever 22 prisons that I've been in, I've learned the two greatest lessons of my life. And, you know, and I always tell people this all the time, when you're going into relationships or you're a leader is that your mindset should always be, I want to learn more from you than I can teach you. Right. And that's always been, you know, the way that I've sort of lived my life and sure enough, you know, those guys in prison have taught me, you know, the two greatest lessons that I needed to learn. And the first thing they taught me was compassion because
0: that's the last place you would expect
1: mm -hmm, to learn that lesson for sure. But you know, these guys were so honest and raw and vulnerable and open and willing to talk about their trauma history. And then obviously, you know, the the probably the greatest lesson was the the lesson of forgiveness, right? And you know, we showed up at Stony Mountain Penitentiary and they have a, a warden there who's a very young man who sort of uh, thinks outside the box. And so they allow us to go there and we get to do whatever we want with these guys. It's awesome. And so, you know, we're having this amazing conversation with 400 of the baddest dudes on the planet. You know, murderers, rapists, child molesters, bank robbers, you know, you name it. And... But I'll say this first, you know, what we discovered is that, uh, you know, the prison system is basically just a mental hospital is all it is. Okay. Cause these guys have.
0: Only without, uh, any sort of ch- chance of rehabilitation. Really? Yes,
1: exactly. And that's why this warden allows us to come in because when we leave after doing a day session with these guys, you know, the the prison is changed right because more guys are willing to talk about what happened to them you know more of them are looking for opportunities to heal you know all that stuff and so you know we got 400 guys in in the gym in the prison and we're having an amazing conversation about trauma mental health and addiction because they all suffer from all three and <clears throat> so I see this guy in the back of the room, and he is visibly um, elevated. And so I say to him, "Hey, you got something to say?" And he stands up in the back of the room. Looks exactly like Eminem, the rapper. You know, <laughs> he's got the flat B cap, tattoos from his, you know, from his neck down to his feet, and you know, he's kind of got this swagger to him kind of like a street guy, you know? Yeah. And he stands up and he says, Theo Fleury says, you're my hero. And I was like, wow, of all the places I thought I'd hear that statement, I didn't think it would be, you know, in a prison. And he said, uh, as you can see, he says, I'm not the biggest guy in the world. And he said, I, I was a really great hockey player as a kid. He so said, when I was 14 years old, he said, I uh, I, got a, I I got, grew up on the north side of Winnipeg, which is a really bad area, Kildonan, and, uh, and he said, I got involved with the wrong crowd, and he said, when I was 14 years old, I started selling drugs, and he said, I've been in and out of jail ever since. Then he says, you know, you'll never guess who I was with three weeks ago in Grand Cache, Alberta. He said, I don't know, who are you with? He said, I was with Graham James, the guy that sexually abused me, raped me 150 times. And he said, Theo Fleury, cause you're my hero. He said, my sole intent while I was in this prison with Graham James was, I was going to beat the shit out of him for you. But he said, Graham is very heavily guarded and everybody wants to beat the shit out of Graham James. So he said I waited and I waited and I waited and I waited and he said I finally got my chance. He said the guards left him alone and I walked into his room and he wasn't there. So I started searching around and so I went to the left side of the bed and he wasn't there. And So I walked over to the right side of the bed and there he was curled up in a ball in the fetal position in the corner of his room. And he said, I didn't do anything. And that's when I said to the kid, I said, uh, I said, you're my hero for not doing anything. And, you know, I realized right at that moment that, you know, my abuser was in way more pain and suffering than I was, you know, and that I have a great life and, you know, I have great relationships. I have great people around me now. And I'm not in that Kind of pain and suffering. And, There's always and so you know. I said to the kid, you know, you're my hero. I love that and, story. And that's you know when I realized that I was on the path of forgiveness.
0: There's always more than one kid. These predators always have yeah. a, a laundry list. Any idea of how many uh, uh, kids Graham James abused?
1: Well, what we know is by the time a pedophile gets caught, on average, they have 125 victims. Jesus Christ. Right. So, you know, I know, for example, that the Boy Scouts of America hid 5,200 pedophiles. So if you do the math, that's over 600,000 boys that were molested in the Boy Scouts of America. And it was hidden. Yeah. And- You know, you look at Jerry Sandusky situation at Penn State, you know, the one kid came forward and then it was just an avalanche of kids right after, right? So, you know, and if you think about the Catholic church, it's mind boggling. Like we're talking millions upon millions upon millions of kids that have been sexually, you know, sexually abused. Do you think a pedophile can be fixed, reformed? I think certain kinds can, uh, but it's a long, obviously arduous process and there has to be a certain amount of willingness on their part to, you know, take on, you know, a path and a journey of healing. But, you know, because the brain is so complex and, and uh, you know, we don't really know. Unless we put these guys in MRI machines and figure out, you know, how their brains actually, you know, work and what their, what chemicals they're lacking, you know. Um, But, you know, I've always subscribed to the theory that nothing is impossible. Okay. That everything is possible. So, with that being said, do I think? I think that certain situations, uh, with people who molest children, I think we can get them to a point where they don't do that anymore. But I also believe on the other side of the coin that, you know, it's a, it's a long, hard process for somebody to take on.
0: But every week you see on social media, um, a police alert. Mm-hmm. okay, sexual predator, we had to let him out of jail. Uh, keep an eye out for him though. And they're they're let loose when the police know full well that he's still a danger. Do you yep. think that uh, you should be locked up and, and kept behind bars unless you get
1: rehabilitated? Good question. <clears throat> well, we don't have a justice system in Canada. Okay? <laughs> Ain't it's, that it's, the truth? It's a, it's a legal system. It's a legal system. Yep. And that's why, you know, uh, the word sexual abuse and buggering and all these phrases have, you know, you'll hear at a sexual abuse trial is, you know, they use different words to lessen the sentence, right? When at the end of the day, it's rape, right? And rape carries the maximum sentence. Right? So, you know, you got all these smart defense lawyers who've come up with these phrases like sexual abuse, fondling, buggering, you know, all these things because they don't have as much oomph as the word rape, right? That's why I say I was raped 150 times. You never used to say that. Nope. But I do say it now because I know that. That that's what it is. And if you say anything less, it's a euphemism. Yeah,
0: exactly. When I was in, uh, the Balkan Wars in 94, they called it ethnic cleansing. Mm. That sounds like you're taking a shower. Yeah. You know, it was goddamn genocide. Yeah. It's what it was. Mm -hmm. Uh, but same thing for whatever reason to protect the criminals, again, uh, let's invent a goddamn word. Yeah. So they called it ethnic cleansing. It's genocide. Yeah.
1: And, um. (laughs) Ethnic cleansing, Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. But that's the world we live in, right? This is the world we live in. The whole world is traumatized, right? The whole entire world, there's nobody who has not had a traumatic experience in their life. The whole world is traumatized. And so hurt people hurt people. It's that simple, right? And until that hurt person gets help, they're going to continue to hurt people. I used to say the root
0: of all assholes is ego, <laughs> uh, but now I'm thinking about it. I wonder if the root of all assholes is uh, uh, trauma. Yeah, because, like you say, hurt people hurt people. Was it? That's a Wayne Dyer saying, I think. <laughs> but um, it is true. Hurt people do hurt people, and if somebody's being an asshole, the your natural reaction is to hey. You know, what are you doing? Yeah. And maybe get in their face, but really the, the correct response isn't a reaction. It's, it's a response of consideration to just, just pause for a moment and think this person has a story. Yep. Everybody's got a story. When you were a wild man, you know, you had quite the reputation and Mm -hmm. a lot of people that didn't like you on the ice. Yep. Have you ever had uh, uh, any of the old crew um, that uh, maybe gave you a hard time or uh, wouldn't give you the time of day? You know the guys that you didn't get along with because uh, you were so wild. Did, no, have, hockey,
1: hockey is—it's not like that. Played on the ice, right? Hockey's played on the ice, and when you leave the rink, you know. So I, I wore two different masks. Right when I stepped on the ice, I had a job to do. That was to win. You know, and those millions of dollars that they paid me was to win. Yeah, and you do whatever you can to win, right?
0: Anybody from that old crew that will ever come back to you after you came out and go, "Oh man, that makes that makes sense now." I've yeah, lots dots of
1: and lots of guys, but lots of guys have also said, "Hey, I played the same way as you, and I have the I have the story behind it too." Yeah, right. So, you know, I always say the best anger management class I could have ever taken was called the NHL. And it's true Right You know It's totally true So You know I, I just And what's interesting is You know You have all of these Mental health groups All over the world And you know It's like Bell let's talk Well what are we talking about What are we actually talking about Yeah I don't know I don't know what you're talking about So let's talk about trauma, which is the catalyst and cause of our mental health issues.
0: Have you ever taken one of those mental health first aid courses? I have not. I want to take one of those. Okay. Um, uh, Different veterans groups put them on all the time, but I'm sure, like you said, trauma is trauma is trauma. Yeah. Uh, I took my course in Montreal for uh, peer support Mm -hmm. and um, a good course, I suppose, but I think one of the biggest things is in what not to say, you know, uh, and to not trivialize and not compare traumas. And, um, what would you say to, to somebody when, about the let's talk idea, if somebody, um, uh, wants to be an ear or if somebody's treating, uh, comes to you as a confidant and wants mm-hmm. to talk about their trauma, do you have some do's and don'ts for the listener? Like for the person that's listening to uh, I, I, somebody that's sharing?
1: Yeah. Don't give advice. (laughs) There you go. Don't ever give advice. Why not? Because it's not your place. Yeah. It's not your place. Your place is to, you know, listen. That's it. Just sit there and listen. Be attuned. Be present. Hold the space. And listen. That's it. You know, you don't need to give advice. And secondly, I believe you. I truly believe you. And then probably the one question I would ask is what happened to you? What happened to you? And that's it, right? And the only time I would give feedback is by telling my own story. Is mm-hmm. I connect to something in your story that I say, "Oh, okay. I got I can tell him But,
0: But without making it about
1: you. Yeah. Right. Just, you know, it's called the sideways approach. Okay. I know that you know that I know that you know that I'm talking about you, but I'm, you know, but I'm over here. We're not in the trauma. We're over here. Right. We're not, you know, because so many, uh, therapeutic processes in the past have, let's go after the trauma. Let's get the trauma. No, let's. Let's put it out here. Let's put it at 40,000 feet, right? Let's not put that person back in their trauma, right? Let's not re-traumatize the person who's already traumatized, right? And so by storytelling, you know, you take that, you know, that, uh, you take the nervous system out of it basically, right? And, and, uh, and I think that's the problem is we don't have enough conversations like the conversation we're having right now, right?
0: Being open and honest. Yeah.
1: You know, and what social media has taught us is that we can be anonymous and not have to stand behind, you know, what we're saying. And, you know, it's created just a whole bunch of bullies, you know, and it, and it, you know, social media, you know, I call it social insanity because what it's taken out is it's taken out, you know, me getting up and driving out here and sitting down with you and having a conversation. Because if we did this over the phone like we did the first time, it's not gonna have the same oomph. That's why I agreed to come here. Yeah. Is because this is this is more important.
0: Well, I appreciate it, brother. Mm. And I think that these, um, I, again, like all the interviews that I, I listen to you do, um, with the exception, of course, of uh, it was more of a, a hockey topic, which I'm actively avoiding, mm. as you've noticed, because mm. I'm sure you're hockeyed out. Yeah. Um, but uh, George Strombolopoulos has got to be the best goddamn interviewer I've ever heard. Unbelievable. You know, yep. actually, uh, it's, 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 uh, around <laughs> in a roundabout way, a little hockey-esque, but, uh, I wanted to talk, you guys are pretty good buds, aren't you?
1: Yep. I would say we're, I wouldn't say we're best friends, but you know, when we see each other, we have a mutual respect for, for each other. And, uh, but yeah, you know, sitting on the red couch is, uh, is an experience that, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, it just makes you feel comfortable. He's like Canada's big brother. Yeah, You know, and, and, uh, you know, it's unfortunate to see what happened to him, you know, with Hockey Night in Canada, but.
0: Well, that's where I was going to go. Uh, know, uh, how do you think he did at, at the job? Do you think I he. Should-
1: it was great. I thought it was fresh. I thought it was new. You know, Hockey Night in Canada has been so the same for so long, you know, yeah. you know, Don Cherry's still there. I
0: like watching the body language. What I saw is I thought he did a good job. He clearly knows hockey. Mm-hmm. Like he knows the the, the subject oh, yeah. matter. But what, what I would see is he would ask a, a very deep, intuitive question, and <laughs> they don't look at him like he's got three heads. Mm-hmm. You know, Kelly Rudy, the look on his face, he's like... <laughs> the hell you talking about George and um and they switched topics and not want to engage in this um more philosophical question that he had to come up with and it just didn't seem like he was getting along with the other guys but
1: but therein lies the issue with vulnerability he was trying to get kelly rudy to be vulnerable and kelly rudy didn't want to be yeah yeah he got he got really you know he froze yeah right and super uncomfortable. Yeah, so you could see it on camera. Yeah, it was hilarious. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, now that Ron McLean's back, all Ron McLean does is tell stories. That's it. Yeah. They don't really, you know, they don't really challenge the NHL. They don't challenge, you know, they, they sort of, uh, you know, they, they deal, you know, kind of a pillow fight. It's not a, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like when something's, um, blatantly wrong with the system, they stay away from it. But, you know, if the pillow fight stuff. Yeah. You know? So, and, and, and that's why we're in the state that we're in that nobody wants to talk about, you know, cause you have four men on the panel, four men on the panel who have the opportunity to, you know, be controversial and, and maybe a bit vulnerable and, you know, whatever and they refuse to go there that's why i switched to something else because it's the same old rhetoric over and over again
0: perfect segue perfect segue Uh, another thing that um, uh, i heard you say that really strikes home for me and it's very very relevant to the veteran community as well uh, is the idea of letting go Letting go of the glory days, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's why I didn't give you an introduction this time, uh, with your hockey background. I mean, yeah, hockey, superstar, got it. Uh, Olympian, blah, 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 but that's not you anymore. That's what you did. Not who you are. Yes. There's, um, and I do this at, uh, at our peer support group. And if you ever want me to do this, um, uh, at, at any of your groups, just let me know. I'd love Mm -hmm. to do it, but it's called IR theory. It's identity versus role theory. I actually learned it in sales training of all places and uh, I've taught it many, many times, but it's going through the, uh, through that lesson of the difference between who you are and what your role is. That they're not the same thing because people identify i'm a hockey player no no you're not that's something that you do or it's your job or mm-hmm. or it's you may love it and it might be you might identify it but that's not who who you are like uh and i am not kissing your ass when i say this theo i am not i swear to mm-hmm. god you're my absolute favorite hockey player but you can you guess why No, nope. <laughs> it's not because of the points it's not because of the accomplishments. It's because of your ridiculous hustle. Mm. Right. And I'm an Edmonton guy. Right. I almost wore my Oilers jersey just to <laughs> be an asshole today. Yeah. Right. But, um, uh, I've always noticed that, uh, it's not just cause you're what? Five, eight, five, seven, five, six, five, six. It's <laughs> awesome. Mm. Mm. You know, and I'm only five, nine. Um, but, uh, you would markedly be working harder than anybody else in the ice, like every time. Um, and you were always, always on 11, you know, and, and I'd always say, um, uh, long before I ever met you, Jesus Christ, if the other guys had the hustle of this guy, any team that you're on, if they were following, keeping pace with you as far as hustle and grind, mm. they'd win the cup or at least be <laughs> in the finals. Right. Every damn year, just based on drive and mm. grind. Now, was it because you are a shorter guy and you always had something to prove or is that just your work ethic?
1: Well, what was my greatest asset? Skill first and talent. Okay. But uh, hard work can beat talent. Yeah. That's my next question right there. So, and obviously I'm five, six and I think I played my first year at 150 pounds. (laughs) So the average height at that time was six feet tall. The average weight was 200 pounds. So guys are six inches taller and 50 pounds heavier than me. So how am I going to use my greatest asset, which is talent and ability against guys that are bigger, stronger, faster, all that stuff. Right. And so, I would create room on the ice so that I could use my talent and ability to shine speed, agility, you know, all these things. And I realized quickly, uh, in junior that, you know, my talent and ability got me here, but what's going to get me to the next level. And that was how hard I played. And how hard I competed, right?
0: You just did what you had to do and that's what you thought
1: you had to do. And I realized early on that, you know, not everybody who I was playing against had that drive, right? So I used that against them because I knew, or, you know, I was willing to die in order to win. And I knew that there was probably... 75% of the guys on the other team who didn't have that philosophy and that mindset. So I could take those guys on the ice and do whatever I wanted to them. Right. So I took advantage of their, uh, inability to want to compete at the highest level.
0: Wasn't, uh, and correct me if I got the story wrong. Wasn't Guy Lafleur like a pretty mediocre, uh, hockey player, but as, as far as talent was, but he was the hardest goddamn worker and that's what made him the legend. Yeah. That's what makes, is that that's, accurate?
1: That's what makes every great athlete great. you know.
0: Well, even the great one of great ones, uh, yeah. 99. Mm-hmm. Uh, first on the ice, last off the ice. Not true? Yeah. Totally true. Yeah. So yeah, he's got more talent than you can believe, but uh, it was the work ethic. Yeah. Work ethic beats talent every time. Every time. Every time. There's a, a book on that, that um, the talent is overrated. You know, and too many people, I think, are kicking back, relying on their talent and their skill, their IQ, mm-hmm. but they don't got the hustle. Their feet aren't moving. They're not making it happen. Yeah. Frick! Best interview ever. <laughs> it's all good. It is good, brother. We're hitting all the stuff I wanted to hit. I got one. Uh, you did me a huge favor uh, at the snaps thing, and and by the way. All three veterans appreciated it. I got feedback from all three of them. You did a shout out for uh, uh, three guys I know. Uh, one was uh, Paul Bangma, who, uh, interesting guy. I did a show with him and I lost the damned audio, so I got to re- do, do a new <laughs> show with him. But he's a guy that left the Army, actually became a drug dealer, uh, like Walter White level kind of shit. Wow. And um, uh, anyway, later on became a drug addict. His heart is now destroyed. He walks around with a heart in a bag. And um, hoping he's hoping for a donor, right? From doing too much cocaine uh, or whatever the the, the drugs were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatever destroys your heart. But um, uh, he's been in the hospital with strokes and uh, other complications. But uh, so that was Paul Bangma that you did the shout out for. Uh, another one, Tom Anderson. This freaking guy, uh, Tom lost his legs on my tour back in '94. That was his second tour. It was my one and only tour right off the bat it was april we just got there kaboom and it had his legs blown off uh, with an anti-tank mine <laughs> and then all these years later that was 94 and all these years later now he's got shrapnel coming out of his damned eye <laughs> wow. who knows where it's been all this time right. you know but uh, it's coming so he's probably going to lose the one eye and um and he's fighting cancer because you know that just wasn't enough <laughs> right Wow, Unbelievable. <laughs> And his number one thing right now is, uh, not for him. He's, he's doing fundraiser for service dogs, not for him, but for, for, for other veterans. Mm. Uh, he was trying to get out, um, uh, John, Don Jerry to give him a shout out. We'll talk about that later. But, um, uh, so he did a shout out for Tom Anderson. And, uh, the third one was a, a guy I served with here in Calgary, uh, Mark Benny. Who's was, um, was clear to cancer. He was good and it's back. So, uh, those are just three guys that I know off the top of my head. And when you took the time to just do that 30 seconds, it's all mm-hmm. it was. And you said, don't quit before the miracle. I want you to know brother that all three of them, it mattered. Like that was like a holy shit, uh, for all three of them. Right. So thank you so much for
1: yeah. that. You know, I, 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 I just feel very blessed that you know I've been able to come out on the other side, right because you know I uh, I see I read almost every day somebody takes their life. yeah, you know and I really believe that's unnecessary you know and I know I was there. Fifteen years ago, I had a fully loaded pistol in my mouth ready I to pull the trigger and end my life. Not because I wanted to die, but I was completely exhausted. From but because living, you wanted to live. Yeah, but I was completely exhausted from living in emotional pain and suffering for the majority of my life. And I yeah. tried everything on the planet. And, you know, I couldn't drink enough. I couldn't snort enough. I couldn't be in enough fucked up relationships to, you know, numb out the pain anymore. And, you know, here I was faced with this decision and choice to, you know, was I going to die? Was I going to live? Well, I chose to live, but guess what? I have no fucking clue how to live life on life's <laughs> terms, right? All I know how to do is cope, yeah, right? But that set me on the path of healing and self-discovery and unpacking, you know, my trauma history and, and, and by doing that, here I am yes. trying to help as many people as I can get to where they want to go.
0: You had said, um, and, and it struck me because I, I know a lot of people in the same boat uh, that if you have even one drink, you lose all your progress that you've made over oh, yeah. this time. It, it, with even one, it's good that you know that that you can't moderate it. Some people can moderate it; some people can't. And uh, well, I would say they
1: can't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I, I uh, um, you know, we have this saying: one's too many, and a thousand's not enough. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I, I work with many people who struggle with addiction and they often say to me, you know, you know, that's, you know, I can control it. Okay, well, come back to me three months later. Well, they're right back to where they started, you know, before they got sober, you know. So I think abstination and staying away from it is, you know, Is what true sobriety really is. Why do you need a chemical, right? Do you know what the most used drug on the planet for trauma survivors is? Caffeine. Alcohol. Yeah, I'd imagine. Right? And it's legal. So, and you know what, what neuroscience tells us is that alcohol doesn't mimic any other chemical that we have in our brain. So what happens is the brain doesn't process alcohol. It basically goes up there, sits in your brain, and burns a hole in your brain. That's what alcohol does. That's why, you know, when we get drunk, you know, we have stru- st- struggle with our balance, struggle with our speech, all that stuff is because the brain has no idea what to do with this chemical.
0: And I didn't know until I started reading Dr. Jordan Peterson's uh, book, The Twelve Rules for Life. <clears throat> Uh, a hangover is withdrawal. Yeah. That's why hair of the dog. Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Because. When was your last drink,
1: Theo? September 18, 2005.
0: Holy shit. You remember the day. Yeah. I have to. So what was it that um, that made that day that day? like I well, have no idea.
1: It was just, just it was, was. It was divine intervention. You just, that was just the day that you decided. Well, it was, you know, <laughs> I often say this, they asked for help was the day that I saved my own life. Yeah. It was the day that I asked for help. And that's the day I asked for help. And it was from. Who did you ask for help? Like, where did you go? The divine intervention. Yeah. That's a good I place asked, to go. I asked the universe for help. And, uh, you know, 5,000 days later, still helping me. You inspire so many people, Theo, who inspires you? People like you, people, people who tell their stories, people who find their voice and talk about what happened to them that's you know that's my inspiration right because it's it's an amazing thing to watch somebody find their voice for the first time in their life and I see it almost on a daily basis right people come up to me either after speaking engagement or you know as much as just walking down the street or in a mall and they come up to me and say hey I read your book and, uh, you told my story, me too. And that's the first time they've ever said it. And you can see visibly visibly the transformation that happens. All that shame that they've been carrying around for however long disappears and their eyes become brighter. Their posture becomes better and they have a little more bounce in their step. And that bounce in their step is what I call hope It's because they have hope. Now there's a concept that I call,
0: um, and I'm not saying that I uh, came up with it. It's just what seems right to me. I call the great awakening Mm -hmm. and I'm seeing it on so many fronts and listening to you talk, I am realizing that as leaders step up like yourself and say, Hey, this is what happened to me and all the me twos that has an effect on the group consciousness. And it changes society. And um, again, not specifically talking about uh, uh, hockey, but the game has changed so much. And I think how the game has changed from uh, uh, more rough and tough, putting on the foil coach, you know, fr- from um, a more brutal uh, gladiator sport into a more European style s- skill.
1: I the think- game, The game is cheaper. Like there's more cheap shots. Because there's no respect. Do you think that that's a reflection of society as yeah. in general? Huge.
0: Yeah, Huge. right?
1: Social media has taught us to disrespect each other. That's what it's taught us. The biggest lesson we've learned from social media is it's taught us to disrespect one another.
0: Don Cherry said once about uh, fighting in the game, and I wanted your opinion on it because I, I got mixed feelings, mm-hmm. uh, that uh, when you take fighting out, the the game gets dirtier because people aren't held to account. Yeah. You agree?
1: Well, I I think it's even deeper than that when, you know, because we used to police the game, the players policed the game and then they implemented the instigator rule. And that's, which took all accountability out of, you know, what was happening on the ice. And now we've got, I don't know, 30, 40 cameras on the ice. And so they see every single incident that happens and goes on. Right. And so, you know, the NHL now polices the game. And I don't think that's a good thing. I think when it was in uh, the players' hands, we had a lot more respect for each other. Well,
0: it was cowboy justice. Yeah. And I got to tell you, uh, I, I miss cowboy justice. Mm-hmm. Even though it was a life of violence when I was in the third battalion, PPCLI in, in Victoria. They were more cowboy than the other two battalions. They just were. Yeah. Uh, anybody that was there will say it. The other two battalions will, <laughs> will argue it. But uh, you had a problem with somebody. Uh, you go fist to cuffs, you sort it out. And when they're down, they're down, like you're not going to kill them, yeah. you know. Uh, but I have solved a lot of problems and made some pretty good friends yeah. by, by cracking them in the jaw. Yeah. I have. Yeah. And um, I was always a smaller guy too. Um I didn't actually sprout the last couple inches till I think I was 18 19. Right. You know, uh and I had to because I'm a bit of a different duck, I stuck out like a sore thumb, so mm-hmm. I had to fight. Yeah. I had to fight. And uh and of course it was always the big assholes. Yeah. And um uh but it sorted shit out. Now, the the person that can't fight or won't fight, I mean they're always going to get uh, victimized, but still uh I had that opportunity and it, it cleared, it cleared up a lot of problems for me. For you sure. say fighting doesn't solve problems. Well, bullshit. Yeah. It, it kept me from getting picked on, mm-hmm. you know? And, uh, uh it, it, we've lost that. Like there is no, like that's not the army anymore. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it, 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 that's not a bar fight anymore. Now you get in a bar fight, chances of dying pretty good. Yeah. You know, what's,
1: how have we lost that respect for each other? <clears throat> Cause we're too sensitive. And, <clears throat> and the people are too who are sensitive don't want to work on their own shit so they need an excuse so they'll jump on any bandwagon they can so they have an excuse for their anger for their rage for their trauma right cuz it's a projection
0: and just just in general the ability to take responsibility a friend of mine sent me a dash cam um, uh, the other day. He, he got in an accident. Thank God he's okay. His wife's okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're a bit buggered up. They need some physio. But um, I, I see. I watched this video and the idiot driver that caused the accident wasn't what caught my eye. It was the other two vehicles that obviously saw this serious accident and buggered off and they were gone. Yeah. That's not how the world used to be. No. You see somebody that needs help. You stop what you're doing, and you help. Yes. Two vehicles. I mean, it was a bad accident mm-hmm. deal, mm-hmm. and
1: they buggered off. They're gone. That's uh,
0: that's the way society's gone.
1: No question that uh, you know we you know we're sending the wrong message, right? And and uh, yeah, I could. I can go on and on and on and talk about, you I, know, where
0: you segued. And then I, and then I lost it. I wanted to talk about uh, letting go of the glory days. Then I was talking about yeah. uh, identity role theory. Yeah. And then, then I got off track And, so and for, for, for you. How important is it to honor the past, but to move to, but to move on and to not hang on to your, uh, hockey career as, as your only identity. <clears throat>
1: yeah, it was funny. I had a conversation with, uh, somebody about that the other day. And, uh, you know, I said, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm, I'm I'm, still in the game. And I was like, wow. And when I retired, I wanted to get as far away from hockey as I possibly could because I just, I see so many guys that, you know, that that's their identity, right? And they could uh, provide so much more. To society because, you know, they play a the team sport, you know, they have leadership skills. They have, they have all of these intangible things that, you know, the world really needs now. And, uh, you know, and so that, you know, that's why I chose <coughs> to, you know, move away from, you know, from <coughs> the ego part of, you know, of all of that. And, and, uh, You know, it's funny people, people say to me all the time at events or whatever, you know, where's your ring? Where's your gold medal? And I go, I have no idea (laughs) because I go, it's not about that. I go, the last thing in the process of winning is they give you a ring and they give you a gold medal. I said, what I get addicted to is the process of winning.
0: There's so much insecurity and a, such a sense of inferiority out there. I, um, when you say gold medal, I, I have uh, two medals that I wear on Remembrance Day, mm-hmm. um, and if there's a military funeral, I'll wear them. You know, uh, but there's something called stolen valor where somebody, and I'm sure it happens in the NHL. Oh, I played in the NHL, and they didn't. You know, but there's right. people these um, uh, claims of accomplishments that they that, that they didn't actually do. Yeah, it's particularly gross when somebody uh, says that they did a tour that they didn't or that they served and they didn't right. or even exaggerating their service, you know, saying, Oh, I did this, that, and the other. And w- w- when they didn't, but the driver of it is uh, insecurity. For sure. You know, it's like keeping up with the Joneses sort of thing and,
1: and an inner feeling of not feeling good enough. Yeah. Which is what trauma teaches us, right? Remember I made those four points yeah is trauma teaches us abandonment neglect i'm not good enough i'm not lovable and do i even exist in the world and every time we get triggered it triggers either one or all four of those beliefs right and so the process of getting well is changing how we see ourselves in our situations right and so making up stories you know, to feel good enough, to feel like you belong and not abandoned and, and all that is, you know, what it's all about. And that's the rewiring of the brain. That's the rewiring process of the brain that needs to happen, right? You know, it's like, um, you know, my PTSD was, you know, I couldn't sleep ever mm-hmm. because every time <laughs> I put my head on the pillow, all I can see is the rape scene. That's all I could see. So I never slept. So that's why I became addicted to alcohol is because the more alcohol I drink, then eventually I'm just going to pass out. Yeah. And that's the only way I was able to sleep. And through the process of EMDR therapy, I was able to, you know, change, you know, the scene, right. Where I became the director of the movie. Yeah.
0: I've been doing ART very similar.
1: Yep. And, uh, you know, changed my life. And what, now I sleep.
0: What do you got? Oh, uh, the reason I, I smiled when you said you, you can't sleep, that's, uh, oh, I freaking know that world. Yeah. You know, uh, can't sleep, the nightmares, oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. You know, uh, I'm starting to get some relief now,
1: but oh, it's not fun. Yeah. The movie that keeps playing in my head. That's what I call it.
0: What do you got to say to um, <laughs> to the people that, because uh, I've done this, Um I'll back up here a bit. Uh, years ago, long before I knew that I had uh, PTSD, even though it was glaringly obvious, but I had nobody to to tell me, right? I mean, my behavior, <laughs> it was ridiculous. Um, but a uh, friend of mine, uh, or a guy that I met, uh, a, a soldier, fellow soldier, uh, said, yeah, I'm in therapy for PTSD. And I said, oh, oh man, all you got, I read this book and Tony Robbins says that uh, all you need is uh, about twenty minutes of neuro linguistic programming (NLP) and shit—you're good to go, man. <laughs> so, I can't—I can't believe he didn't knock me out. <laughs> don't even get me started on Tony Robbins, Christ Almighty! <laughs> but uh what do you say to the uh, people that say that there's a quick fix or watch this twenty-minute TED talk—it'll change your life? Knowing how, just how big the struggle of over overcoming
1: trauma is, like, what, what do you guys? Yeah, the, those people? things are fine. Yeah, but. It has to inspire action in you, right? You can listen and watch and do all that stuff, but if it doesn't inspire action, then is, was that Ted talk really that good? Do you know what I mean? It has to inspire action in you because you're the only person who can do the action part. I can't do your action for you. You have to do it yourself. Right? You have to make the choice and you have to make the decision. I can stand up on a podium all day long and talk about, um, whatever, but if I'm not inspiring action, if I'm not giving you, uh, enough inspiration to take action, then I'm not a very good speaker, right? I need you to take the action, but I can't do it for you right? Can't help somebody who doesn't want help, right? That's, that's, that's it. And so, you know, and that's the, that's, that's why we're in the state that we're in. So we have the highest awareness around the subject of mental health, mental illness, whatever phrase you want to use. The highest awareness ever. But on the other side of the coin, we have the highest suicide rates in the history of our planet. So, why isn't all this awareness being turned into action and getting people well? Well, we're not talking about the trauma. That's why. We're not talking about trauma, which and is it, the catalyst for mental illness and addiction.
0: And I think it's uh, compounded by the fact that we live in an unnatural world. You know, that's why there's such a huge drive for people to go camping. We got in the backyard here a 28 foot trailer. Well, why in the hell would you go 30 grand in debt to, to have this? because the drive to get out of the system is so sure. strong. Mm-hmm. you know, And whether people connect those dots or not, all they know is that I gotta get out of the city or I need a break or I need to recharge my batteries. It's just our lifestyle in, in, in general is so unnatural. you know, uh, We're basically uh, being economic slaves. Yep. And uh, because it's such an unnatural system, that is such a compounding effect uh, and it makes us so much less resilient I think, to trauma.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's no question that I had lots of resilience built into me as a young kid because I faced trauma, right, which served me well until I got to a point where I had a breakdown and then I had to change some things about. My resilience is still there, you know, but, you know, it's managed differently. It's, you know, how I react in different situations that, you know, it's different. But the action piece was I had to do the work, right? If I don't do the work, we're not sitting here. I'm not talking about, you know, all of these topics because without experiencing my own uh, healing journey, then I'm not, I can't, I can't talk about, you know, going to an EMDR therapist. I can't talk about going to equine therapy. I can't go, you know, where I've used all of these things. Right. That's why I go to the golf course almost every day is because it's meditation for me.
0: Yeah. I can't golf for shit, but I do like the driving range for yeah. that exact reason. It's yeah. all you're. it's just you and the ball and mm-hmm. it's doing what you don't want it yeah. to do.
1: And you talk to people who own motorcycles. Yes, sir. Mine's in the garage. Yeah. Mine's in my garage too. a boy, let's go for a ride. You know, it's the greatest stress reliever ever because you don't have to think about anything.
0: Yeah. Well, and you're hyper-focused on the road, so your brain cannot wander.
1: If it wanders, you die. Yeah.
0: You know, when you're on your bike, you're always looking around, uh, okay, who's going to kill me today? Mm -hmm. Uh, There's the rolling barrage coming up. You should join us for a ride. It's uh, the veterans ride, but veteran supporters oh, cool. as, as well, and it's going to be coming through Okotoks actually. Oh, when is it? Uh, Scott Casey's putting it on. I'll, I'll get you the dates. Sure. after. Sure, cool. Yeah, the Rolling Barrage. <laughs> That's another show that I lost because of my technical idiocy. <laughs> so I'll have to get him back on here too. Sorry, Scott. I'm an idiot, <laughs> but um, uh, it's, it's a it's a great ride. It goes coast to coast, but you can you know do ten minutes or do oh, cool. three hours whatever oh, nice. whatever you want. Cool. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, for sure.
1: Well, I ran into a really great group. They're called Baca. Baca. Uh, Bikers Against Child Abuse.
0: Yep. Uh, there's, uh, there's a bunch at uh, the local church here yeah. um, uh, Victory Church, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, I met, met some of them.
1: Amazing group. Amazing, amazing group of, uh, of people. Yeah. So,
0: two things that, it, uh, and then we could probably wrap up. Um, and you can always say pass, right? Um, we were talking about the power of forgiveness, the necessary, um, the necessity of being able to forgive and the incredible strength and difficulty in forgiving your abusers. Now, and I'm, I'm just speaking from my own perspective as well. I find that self-forgiveness is even harder. Yes. Was there any of that with you?
1: Well, I think that was the first thing I realized in that, uh, scene in the prison. Was I got to the place where I forgave myself? Just bring the mic in and down a little bit there. When I was in the prison, that's when I discovered that you know I was at a place of forgiving myself, right? And uh, and to me, forgiveness is freedom. Hell yeah! You know it really is. It's the gift you give yourself. And and uh, you know we don't we don't talk about it enough, right? Is is that it's part of the process.
0: Because people uh, prefer, we're talking about cultural shift in the Great Awakening. The counterbalance to the Great Awakening is this expanding victim mentality, right? Now, having a victim mentality, me bashing that, isn't saying you're not a victim. It's not saying that. Mm -hmm. It's It's acknowledging it, but saying don't let it beat you. You have to be bigger than your trauma. Yeah. You have to, or you will always be a victim and you will never get healthy. You can't be a victim and be healthy. You can't. Would you agree?
1: Absolutely. For sure. You know, uh, I lived in victimhood for the majority of my life. And that's where the
0: anger and the bitterness and the rage
1: lived in my past. And yeah, I had every excuse in the book. Yeah. It's, it's warranted excuse, you know? I was raped 150 times. My parents, I grew up in a addictive home, you know, I had all the excuses, but was it doing me any good? No, I had a gun in my mouth and I had nothing to do with, you know what I mean? It was, it was the fear of the action, the fear of the action. I didn't want to take the action part. I didn't want to you know, have to go to therapy. I didn't want to have to talk about my feelings. I didn't want to do any of that stuff, but you know, it wasn't until I did that, that my life got better. Right. And that's why I always say, find your voice, you know,
0: something I wanted to explore with you. And then we'll wrap up, um, and I don't know if there's much there there or not, but I thought it was super interesting, and um, I thought it might it might take us down a path. Uh, but in playing with fire, uh, you talk about right after a game, I think in New York, and mm-hmm. and uh, uh, hanging out with homeless folk around the uh, the burning barrel. Now, was that a did that happen like a couple of times? Was that a regular thing? I think it, it happened a couple of times. A couple of times. Yeah. What do you think uh, was, and here's where I'm going with this, because mm-hmm. um, at, at that time in your life, you know, you're big superstar and everybody knows your name and um, uh, NHL all-star and all this awesome stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but on the inside, my guess is that you, you didn't feel like you deserved all of that, that that you had accomplished. Uh, Cause there's a concept where, and I believe this to be true. I don't think there's a lot of maxims in life, but I believe this is a maxim that you can only rise to your level of self concept, you know, for the most part. And that um, you are, you can only be as much as what you think you deserve to be, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and so in my mind, listening to the story, I thought Theo, here's Theo, 50, you know, 20,000 fans, you know, uh, cheering for him. But really, what he felt like in, on the inside was reflected by uh, uh, hanging out with these homies, uh, folks around the burning mm. barrel. What do you think? Is,
1: mm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a good question that I need to think about for a second to... Um, So I grew up in a very small town, okay? There's nothing small town about New York, okay? <laughs>
0: I've never been, so. Okay, yeah.
1: so there's nothing, and it moves at an incredibly fast rate. The New York minute. Yeah. So, you know, there's lots of stimulation, not necessarily good stimulation. Um, and when I was on the ice and never had a problem with any of that, it was easy, you know? It was easy for me to put on my suit of armor and do what I love to do. Cause I worked my ass off to get there. Okay. But when I left the rink, I, I didn't know who I was. Because I don't relate to uh you know, people who work on Wall Street, you know, well you know, that sort of elitist thing. I'm still a small town kid. Yeah. Okay. And what I found around the burning barrel was a bunch of whole whole bunch of people suffering the same way that I was suffering, feeling alone, feeling that I didn't really belong in, you know, New York. And probably some of the most intelligent, because I'm attracted to intelligent people. I like smart people. They stimulate my curiosity in my brain and all that stuff and so some of the most intelligent smart people that I've ever met in my life were the guys standing around the burning barrel and they had trauma lots of trauma and so that's where they were on their journey and you know on the outside they didn't look successful but on the inside, I needed that relationship to say to me that it doesn't matter what kind of clothes you wear, it's on, it's what matters in the inside that really, really matters. And found so much inspiration in having those conversations with these people, you know? And I would say for the most part, they were happy. They were Okay. They were okay, you know, and, you know, I always say, I guess the universe put me in that situation to do research for what I'm doing today, you know, because everything happens for a reason, right? You know, and there are no coincidences in this world. And, you know, when I surrendered September 18th of 2005, I surrendered, right? Hit my knees and. Asked the universe for help and guidance and whatever it was. And since then, the universe has been guiding me every step of the way. Every person that I meet, every conversation that I have, every research paper that I read is for a reason, right? And since the day that I surrendered, my life has only gotten better every day. Yeah, I've struggled lots. You know, I've probably hit more rock bottoms in sobriety than I ever did drinking. But it's because I'm, for the first time in my life, I'm actually unpacking my trauma history. And it's not easy, you know. That's why people don't do it. It's because it's hard.
0: Nope, not easy at all. Toughest phone call I've ever made in my life. Uh, I was absolutely on the bottom. And I uh, threw out an email to the Royal Canadian Legion uh, which was responded to immediately, by the wow, way, which awesome. is, which is great. And I, s- I said, look, I'm not saying I have PTSD. I'm not saying that because I mm-hmm. didn't know, yeah. right? I, I just know I'm fucked up yeah. and I know I need help. And I know that my children are suffering because of this guy, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, yeah. my behavior, I am nowhere near the dad that I should be. Uh, Cause I keep losing my shit over nothing. Yeah. And, um, it was, it was my boys that, uh, uh, and, and my wife now, because I'm remarried that pushed me to picking up that phone, but God damn it, Theo, it weighed a thousand pounds. Oh yeah. Uh, but I picked that son of a bitch up and, um, I, and felt shame, all of it, you know, um, not unlike I've been doing a set of interviews at the veterans food bank. Um, talk about courage. The, the first time that they walk into that place, same kind of idea. Uh, the first time I picked up that phone and said, look, uh, can you point me in the right direction? I just want to get uh, a checkup from the neck up, you know, and tell me what the hell this is. Like, what the hell is this? And can I do anything about it? Uh, I'm not saying it's military related. I just, I know I'm fucked. I need any help. And, uh, if I hadn't done that Theo, Jesus Christ, I wouldn't be married. I'd probably be out of the house. Yeah, you know, no I don't think she would have kept me.
1: There's no question. But what's interesting is that, you know, those of us who've experienced trauma in our life, guess what? We're the healers. We're the healers in this world. Those of us who've experienced trauma, we're, we're, we're the healers. And when we choose a path of healing, it automatically puts us in that role of I'm a helper. now. I'm a healer.
0: puts us in a position to do it because we've walked the path. And like you said, therapy for the rest of my life, you know, like this is, if you take your foot off the gas in trauma repair for any amount of time, you know, you will regress. Yeah. Like uh, you've got to keep pushing. It's a never ending push. Yeah. But, um, It just, it just, it just is. Yeah. Uh, And and that's why people don't get, oh, just get over it. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. No. You know. um,
1: No, because trauma gets stored in your body.
0: If I find a magic pill, I'll let you know. Yeah,
1: exactly. Well, that's, that's a whole other topic about how big pharma owns, you know, pretty much every major disease on the planet And, and they, they don't do it to create cures. Do you know the name Wim Hof?
0: No. Okay, we're gonna talk about. <laughs> um, I've I, I just I've been studying him for a while, but I'm just starting his breathing techniques now. Mm. Anyway, uh, they call him the Ice Man, uh, and, and he's actually in university textbooks and shit now. Okay, um, we'll talk more about Wim Hof. Uh, but through the breathing techniques, you can actually hack into your autonomic system. So the thing that they say that you can't do, well, he's proven that you can do. So he's impervious to cold. He's impervious to disease. He can't have disease. Pretty sure it's impossible to give him cancer. Um, like they, they've injected shit into him that, um, 12,000 other people, 100% of them got sick. Him, zero effect, right? And anybody that he trains... And it's easy to train. Apparently, just do it. Yeah. Uh, follow the uh, uh, the path completely impervious. But the relevance here is mental health as well. Of course. And and there is um, uh, his belief, and I'm going to continue to uh, go down this road and and to learn more about it. But it helps reset because you are at, tapping into the autonomic system. Helps you reset your brain as well. Yes. Because people don't understand trauma is like a stamp. It's like a stamp. It's like a crack in the windshield. Uh, Um, I I did this in class once. Um, so everybody has the odd chip in the windshield. It, the more you drive, the more chips you get, the more rough the road, the more chips that you get. But what we do is we have this ability to magically put the chips over to the side and just ignore them, ignore them until you can't ignore them anymore. And, um, and it, and it weakens the overall structural integrity of the windshield as well. And that's trauma, mm-hmm. you know, and you can go to the windshield surgeon and, and, and uh, get it so that the, it's strong again yeah, uh, and a bit more clear to look through, but the cracks are still there. The scars are there. Of course. You know, and I think that's trauma. Don't question
1: it's trauma. This, uh, somebody at one of our workshops got up and said, something pretty profound. And she said, trauma is, which is the string, which binds us all together as human beings. It's true. And I've never heard a truer statement than that in my whole entire life. And so, you know, that's why we should have compassion for the assholes. That's right.
0: Cause I've certainly been an asshole. Of
1: course, of course, <laughs> of course. And what's really cool is that, you know, every relationship is repairable. Every relationship that we've ever had in our life that's gone sideways is repairable. If both sides are willing. If both sides are willing
0: to forgive and to grow. And if
1: both sides are willing, it's repairable. Yeah. That's why I say it, you know. And we can continue to learn until we stop breathing. That's why we're on this planet, brother. You know, so, um, but, you know, what, what Big Pharma has taught us is that there's... There's a pill you can take that
0: is gonna you know what I mean? (laughs) For everything there is a pill for a pill there you can deal with but what you you
1: just said is that there are breathing techniques and breathing exercises which I can use to heal almost anything. Yeah. So why isn't that mainstream? Why is that non-mainstream? It's getting more and more. Um, Wim's
0: got some pretty damn good coverage. He was on uh, Joe Rogan show. Mm-hmm. That's a big. Have you ever been on the Joe Rogan show? I'd no. love to see you on there. Yeah, God, that'd lots be a
1: good of good people. Lots of people have uh, asked you that. Have asked me that. Yeah. So I'm sure he'd get you on there. Yeah, but but, um, but that's that's the thing, you know, and that's why I joined uh, that group. We're all a little crazy. Yeah. Out of New York is because their whole entire philosophy is holistic healing. You know.
0: As long as it's real, you know, this Wim Hof stuff is all scientifically proven Mm -hmm. uh, because all the scientists said, fuck that. It's impossible. No way. Yeah. But what, and then he proved it.
1: But even, even saying that, why wouldn't you try absolutely everything on the planet? Triage, like, and this is
0: why, uh, because to try and to fail, to try to fail, to try to fail, it gets exasperating fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I wouldn't want somebody to lose hope. So I think hedge your bets and try to bet on the fastest horse as best as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, well, um, but that that's what I would say to that.
1: Right. But I believe everything works if you believe it's going to work, the placebo effect. You know. So well, that's a part of it. You know, um, and pretty much every thing that I've tried has given me a new tool to put in my toolbox. Whether it worked or not, I still took something out of the experience. But you kept your feet moving. Yeah, absolutely. Always looking for the next, you know, the next thing. And what's really kind of interesting is in the last probably two or three years, I have run into intuitive healers. Interesting and uh it's been really interesting that you know that's sort of you know what's been put in front of me is i'm meeting all these people who are intuitives and i really believe that that is the next sort of wave of healing well we got a whole other show on that brother Mm -hmm. so you know um it's all out there i think if you take something away from our conversation today is that you know, there's, healing is possible. <laughs> you just took it out of my mouth. I say uh,
0: healing happens. Yeah. Healing yeah. happens. It does.
1: And. But there's no magic goddamn pill. No, no. And it's, and it's up to you to decide, am I willing to go to any length to get better? Right. And that's where it always falls back on your plate. And yes, it wasn't your fault.
0: You gave three pillars. Uh, one of them was uh, physical activity, which is so true. I mean, I don't think it's the be all end all. No. But me being back in the gym, I'm feeling better. because Because I'm back in the gym regularly. Of course. Uh, what were the other two
1: pillars? Emotional. Okay. Right? So compassion, empathy, right? All these <clears throat> things that Brene Brown talks about is really important. And then spiritual. Okay. Right? And to me… You know, spirituality is not about the white bearded guy in the sky. I don't get that concept, but I do get the concept of relationship, right? And to me, relationship is spirituality because the reason why we were put on this earth is to be in relationship with one another, not suffer in silence, right? And so instead of me using the word God, I use the word universe, Cause it works for me, Sure. And (laughs) what's interesting, I was in a treatment center, uh, in Los Angeles and, uh, one of my counselors had 21 years of sobriety. And I said to him, I said, what's your higher power? He said, a tree in my backyard. Interesting. I looked looked at him and I was like, really? He's like, I'm 21 years sober. I was like, okay, I get it. I get it. He's 21 years sober. and His higher power is a tree in his backyard. It's not for me to decide yeah. what your higher power is.
0: I'm a Freemason. Uh, I haven't been active in years. Mm-hmm. Uh, me and a friend are looking to get back into it though. And um, to be a Freemason, and no, we don't run the world. I wish to God, where's my piece? <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> where's yeah. my bit of it? Yeah. But um, uh, one of the uh, prerequisites is that you got to believe in God. However, we don't care if it's the tree in your backyard, yeah. if it's a Coke can, um, uh, or the great spaghetti monster. We don't care. Do you believe in something bigger? Cause if you don't, it, your, your world is so limited. Yes. It's just so limited if you don't believe in something greater. So we don't, uh, care if you're Muslim, Jew, Christian or something in between. I'm none of the above. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do I'm pretty sure there's a creator out there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, of some sort. I just, I'm not so arrogant as to think that I, with my tiny little mortal brain can conceive what the greater actually is, mm-hmm. you know, but for masonry, that's good enough to yeah. believe in, in a higher power. You're
1: good. Are you a decent human being?
0: Okay. Come on in.
1: But the reason why there's so many sects and denominations is the very basic uh, belief in community. And that's how this is going to get solved is they create community. And to me, community, community, communities, how's this, how this is going to be solved? Is you get a bunch of people in a room, you use vulnerability, that vulnerability creates safety. And then once you have safety, that's when the magic of healing happens. It's, and did- it's that basic and that simple.
0: And I'd have to say not an online community. No. People have got to start putting that shit down, quit relying uh, relying on it, leaning on it like a crutch and getting face to face, face to face. There is no replacement for face to face interaction. There is no
1: replacement for it. Well, And and that's why I call myself an expert in relational trauma is because my trauma happened in relationship and how am I going to heal? in relationship, Hell yeah. healthy, happy, you know, vulnerable, empathetic, compassionate relationships. But I need to have that in myself first enable in order to, you know,
0: got to lead by example.
1: So, you know, that's why, you know, I always talk about community is, you know, at breaking free, which is our foundation? That's what we've done. We've created a safe.
0: The office is here in Okotoks, isn't it? Yep. Just no, off. my of-
1: my my personal office, Flurry fourteen, is in Okotoks. Okay. But we don't really have an office.
0: Final question for you, then we'll wrap up. Okay. I've been saying that for half an hour. Um, why Calgary? Why'd you come back? Like you could live anywhere you want. Yeah. On the planet, why here?
1: Uh. Well, I love the entrepreneurial spirit okay. of Calgary, and that entrepreneurial spirit creates give back, creates charitable people, right? Is
0: terrible drivers though?
1: Yeah, whatever. <laughs> you, you need to work on that. Um, I, I just, I just love that. Calgarians and Albertans give back so much to their communities, you know, and I didn't know really at the time, other than, you know, my kids were here and I need to repair that relationship with them. And, uh, obviously I need to repair the relationship with the moms too, you know? And, and so, uh, I'm a Western Canadian kid, but I can't live in a small town. Right. I don't yeah. want to live I don't want to live in a small town. I need stimulation. And so, you know, Calgary was a, a good fit and you know, obviously the fans were always supportive and and uh you know and so all of that combined was, you know, great place and you know, being forty five minutes away from the Rocky Mountains is pretty cool too. It's you pretty know. damn cool. And there's lots of great golf in the mountains. So yeah. you know. So, yeah, you know, I just think that um, this is a special place that people don't really know about, you know? And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of good human beings in Calgary. There sure are. And I've been
0: really noticing that in Okotoks. It's yeah. just a phenomenal town with just great people. Yeah. So, Dale, thanks for being here, man. Anytime. I'm Mark Mankey, and this is the Mankey Show Podcast. <laughs> At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making peer support for post-traumatic stress disorder easily accessible with a vision of a world where finding help and support is simple and the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast.